Well, good morning, TBA. How are you all this morning? Good. Awesome. Have you ever had a moment in your life when all of your junk catches up with you and you're forced to face it? A moment when all the sin in your life that you've been trying to manage, hide, and rationalize is no longer manageable, it's no longer hidden, it's no longer rational. A moment when all the plates that you've been spinning in your life come crashing down. A moment when you've run out of room to run. There's no more turns on the path. You've hit a dead end and your only choice is to turn around and face all the mess that you've made in your life. Maybe that's where some of you are today, facing the reality of the mistakes that you've made in life. Maybe some of you are still running, still spinning the plates, thinking you can manage it. But eventually you're going to run out of room, and the plates are going to come crashing down. It happens to all of us. It happened to me. And I think that's why this week's reading was so impactful to me, because I see so much of myself in Jacob. See, I grew up in church, and I've been around the teachings of God my whole life. But yet I didn't embrace those things until later, much later in my life. And I lived my life much like Jacob did, doing things in my own strength, living life on my own terms, managing my sin, rationalizing it, running from my past. But there comes a point when your past catches up with you and you're sitting at this crossroads moment in your life and a choice has to be made. For me, it was when I was 30 years old. See, up until that point in my life, I'd been running from God, living this life of destruction. And I don't want to get into all the details of it, but believe me, man, there was a lot of destruction and a lot of darkness there. I had hurt a lot of people, and I caused a lot of hurt in myself. And I was living my life ignoring God and trying to fill this void that was in my life with things that only brought more destruction. And then one night, God woke me up in the middle of the night, and he told me that I had to make a choice, that either I was going to begin to follow him, or I was going to die. Now, it wasn't an audible voice, but I clearly heard from God, and he was basically telling me that I couldn't run anymore, and that this was a crossroad moment in my life. One path leads to him, the other path leads to death. And he was asking me to make a choice, and not just a surface acknowledgement, but a life-altering, direction-changing choice about how I was going to live. And so I got up, and I went into the living room, and I fell on my knees, and I just started to break down and cry. And through a lot of tears and a lot of anguish of heart, man, I confessed my need for the Lord. I confessed my sin to him. I told him that I needed him and didn't want him to abandon me, and I gave my life to him. And my life has not been the same since. And so I think that's why I resonate with the story of Jacob so much, because I see so much of myself in him. So today I want to look at Jacob's life, and I want to look at the crossroad moment that Jacob comes to when everything finally catches up with him. There's a whole bunch we could look at at Jacob's life, but I want to focus on this one small passage. So if you have your Bible, open up to Genesis 32. We're going to start in verse 22. 
And this may sound, this, this story is a little weird, but we'll get into it. So let's start at verse 22. So during the night, Jacob got up and he took his two wives, his two servant wives and his 11 sons, and he crossed the Jabbok River with them. And after taking them to the other side, he sent over all of his possessions. This left Jacob alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. And when the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of socket. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Well, what is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means the face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. And the sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel. And he was limping because of the injury to his hip. Okay, so now when you read and study a passage like this, you're probably often left with more questions than answers. I mean, who is this man that Jacob's wrestling with? What's really going on here? Why does he change his name? So there's a lot going on, and I'm probably not going to answer all the questions that you had when you read this, but there are some really basic truths here about Jacob's experience that I think God wants us to see. So I want us to back up a little bit and start with what brought Jacob to this point in his life. And hopefully you've been keeping up with your reading during the week, and so all of this is just a review for you. But if you remember, Jacob has been living up to his name, the deceiver, because that's what Jacob means in Hebrew. It means to be deceitful or supplanter, and Jacob was definitely both of those. If you remember, Jacob took advantage of Esau when he was hungry, and he stole his birthright. He also deceived Isaac for the blessing of the firstborn. And he tried to marry the youngest sister, Rachel, when custom dictated that he should wait until Leah, who was the eldest, was married first. And then he leaves the house of Laban without telling him that he was leaving. So Jacob, is, his whole life is this bargaining, scheming, destruction kind of life. Even in Jacob's first encounter with the Lord, back in chapter 28, and God passes on the promises of, I, of Abraham and Isaac onto him, Jacob can't simply believe what God told him. He, he turns the whole thing into this kind of bargain. Look at it. It says, Jacob made this vow. If God will indeed protect me, if God, I'm sorry, if God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. But now Jacob's coming back home, and all his junk's catching up with him. See, Jacob had been forced to leave his home years ago in fear and shame, fleeing for his life, because he had just stolen the blessing or the inheritance of his father from Esau. And he stole it through lies and deception. And Esau, his brother, is really, really mad and threatened to kill him. And so his mother, Rebekah, tells Jacob to flee to Laban and that she'll send after him after Esau has calmed down. But there's nothing in the Bible that says she ever sent word to him that it was safe to come home. But God told him to go home. And so after all these years, Jacob is returning home. 
And he's afraid that his brother might still try to kill him. I mean, think about it. If your younger brother stole your family inheritance right out from under you, wouldn't you be upset? I would. If I was Esau, I'd be pretty upset. And Jacob's worried about that. And so he sends messengers to Esau to try to find out where Esau sits. Is Esau still looking to kill him? So he tells his his messengers, give this message to my master Esau. Humble greetings from your servant Jacob. Until now, I've been living with Uncle Laban. I now own cattle, donkeys, flocks of sheep and goats, and many servants, both men and women. I have sent these messengers to inform my Lord of my coming, hoping that you will be friendly to me. But Jacob didn't get the reassurance that he was looking for because the messengers come back and he's like, oh yeah, Esau's coming. He's on his way and he's got 400 men with them. So in front of him is Esau, for all he knew, was still on a a mission of revenge. But behind him was Laban, who wasn't very pleased with Jacob either. See, Jacob was marching into a potential minefield, but because of the bridges that he burned with Laban behind him, he couldn't retreat. So he's stuck. He's stuck between Laban and Esau. And all of his deceitfulness catches up with him. And he's afraid. Actually, Scripture says he's, te- he's terrified. And so he does what I think a lot of us do in times of crisis. He prays to God for deliverance. Look at verse 9. It says, then Jacob prayed, O God of my grandfather Abraham and God of my father Isaac. Remember that. God of my grandfather Abraham, God of my father Isaac. O Lord, you told me, return to your land and to your relatives, and you promised me I will treat you kindly. I am not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you've shown to me, your servant. When I left home and crossed the Jordan River, I owned nothing except a walking stick. Now my household fills two large camps. Oh, Lord, please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. I'm afraid that he's coming to attack me along with my wives and children. But you promised me I will surely treat you kindly and I will multiply your descendants until they become as numerous as the sands along the seashore. Too many to count. Now when you first read this, you think, hey, Jacob's finally coming to his senses and he's turning to God. And there might be some truth in that, but I don't really think that's what's going on here. I don't think this is a full submission on Jacob's part. See, I don't think Jacob has fully surrendered to God and God's plan for his life. Remember that bargain prayer that he made where he said, God, if you do these things, then you will be my God. Well, God did all of those things, but how does Jacob begin this prayer of desperation? It's, oh, God of my grandfather, Abraham, and God of my father, Isaac. He doesn't say, oh my God. He hasn't fully accepted God as his God. And to me, this is a prayer that I think we often practice. And I call it God 911. And it goes like this. It's when we live our lives the way we want to. Putting ourselves first and ignoring God and what he wants for our lives. Because we love our sin too much. And we think we can manage it. And so we don't spend time in God's word. We don't spend time in relationship with him. We don't serve him. We don't give back to him. We don't worry about anything but ourselves. And then crisis hits us, and we treat God like a genie in a bottle. And we cry out to him, expecting to hear, God, 911, what's your emergency? Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with crying out to God when things get desperate. 
God wants us to turn to him for all things, and he will meet us in those desperate times. But the key word is that he wants us to turn to him for all things, not just emergencies. See, we can't just make a mess of our lives and then bargain with God and expect him to undo all the things that we've done and then put him back in the bottle and put him up on the shelf until the next emergency while we go back living the way that we've always lived. See, God is looking for all of us, all of who we are, all of our devotion, all of our obedience, all of our trust, all of our dependence. And I don't think that's where Jacob was at this moment. In fact, after this prayer, he sends gifts to his brother Esau, hoping to appease him. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But again, I think it's an indication that Jacob is still not fully trusting in the Lord. He's scheming in his own power, trying to work things out. But see, God had a different plan for Jacob. Because later that night, Jacob sends his wives and his sons across the river. He finally sends the rest of his servants and the rest of his possessions across the river into Esau's territory. And for some reason, Jacob remains on the opposite bank from his family. Now, why is this? He knew Esau was on the way. Anything could happen the next morning when Esau and his 400 guys arrived. Why was he alone? Most of the commentaries I read said he was most likely on guard just in case Esau's army attacked in the night. They would only see Jacob, therefore protecting his family from death. Others said it was a very cowardly thing for him to do, to put his wife and children in front of him in hopes that it would protect him from Esau. I honestly don't know what his motivations were, but I would have to say that it was God that wanted him to be alone. See, he needed to be alone to get some things right with God. I think it was God's plan for Jacob to be alone because now it's just him and God. And I think God's creating this crossroad moment in Jacob's life, a moment where Jacob has to decide which path is he going to walk from now on. And we see it played out in this really weird wrestling match. So what's going on here? Who is this man? Is this wrestling match a spiritual thing or is it a physical thing? Well, I think there are two main themes that are happening here. The first is that I think Jacob is wrestling with God in prayer for deliverance from Esau, but God wanted more from Jacob. And we know that it was God that he was wrestling with because in verse 30, Jacob says, I have seen God face to face. So this is a theophany, an appearance of God in human form. And we see this a number of times in the Old Testament. The angel of the Lord that visited Abraham was God in human form. The angel of the Lord that spoke to Hagar in her distress The angel of the Lord that stood in the furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These are all theophanies. And I personally believe that it's Jesus pre-incarnate before he comes to earth in human form. And so I think Jacob is actually wrestling with Jesus. And I think it's both a spiritual and a physical match. On the spiritual side, again, Jacob's trying to do things in his own strength, and he's trying to wrestle deliverance out of the Lord. But Jesus was trying to get Jacob to surrender everything to him, attempting to humble him. But Jacob just won't submit. So there's this battle of wills that goes on all night. And I think this is God's answer to Jacob's 911 prayer. Jacob is desperate for intervention. But God is saying to Jacob, I want more from you than just your desperation, Jacob. I want everything from you, your whole life. 
I want you to submit everything to me. And Jacob wanted the blessing of God, but not the relationship. I mean, how often are we the same way? We desire the blessings of God, but we're unwilling to be obedient to him. Oh, we want his provision and his protection and his deliverance, but man, we're unwilling to enter into a proper relationship with him. And when I say proper relationship, I mean a relationship where we allow him access and control to every area of our lives. God is not a genie in a bottle. But man, do we treat him that way? See, his desire is to have all of our heart. I mean, what are you holding back from God? What is he wrestling with you about? I mean, can we be real for just a minute? Because I know for a fact that some of you are wrestling with God right now and you're not submitting your heart to him. You know what he wants you to do, but for whatever reason, for whatever reason, you're just refusing to obey it. I mean, what holds you back? Is it sin that you're unwilling to let go of? Is it pride doing things in your own strength? Is it fear of stepping out of faith? Is it shame because of your past? See, God wants to transform your life if you will allow him. He wants you to know that you can be free from the power of sin in your life. He wants you to know that you don't have to do this in your own strength, that it is in our weakness and dependence on him That's when we're the strongest. He wants you to know that you can trust him in faith, even when the path in front of you isn't clear. You can trust him. He wants you to know there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Your past does not define you. You're a new new creation in Jesus. But I will tell you this. If you continue to wrestle with God, Man, there's going to be a price to pay. There always is a price to pay when we fight God. So here's the physical part of the match. When Jesus sees that Jacob isn't going to submit, he affects him physically and dislocates his hip. The Lord wanted to break Jacob and bring him to a place where he could honestly say, not I, but you, Lord. And all night long, Jacob defends himself and refuses to surrender or even admit that he has sin in his life. And then God weakens him. And now the only thing he could do, the only thing he had left because his physical strength is gone, the only thing he can do is cling to God. And so now instead of scheming for a blessing or bargaining for a blessing, he's asking God for a blessing. And this is the first indication that a transformation was taking place in the soul of Jacob. See, he had outwitted and defeated Esau, Isaac, and Laban, but now he had met his match. Now he was the victim. And Jacob turns to fervent prayer and tears. Hosea describes the incident in Hosea chapter 12. He says, yes, he wrestled with the angel in one, and he wept and pleaded for a blessing from him. There at Bethel, he met God face to face, and God spoke to him. And so God finally got him to see that the only path for him was complete dependence on the Lord. Jacob was begging for spiritual strength in order to face the danger of the next day with Esau. But it was more than just that. He was seeing his need for God, and he wanted not just deliverance, but Jacob wanted a relationship 
He wanted God so desperately that he clings to him and he begs God to bless him. And then God says to him, well, what is your name? And so here we see the second main theme I think that's going on because asking Jacob what his name is 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 telling. Names in the Old Testament were a really big thing. It often showed who you were. Remember, Jacob's name means deceiver. And so I think the story kind of goes down like this. Jacob starts by saying, God, deliver me. God comes to Jacob, wrestles with him, and says, do you really want deliverance, Jacob? Jacob's like, yes, I want deliverance. Deliver me. And God's going, then submit. And Jacob's going, I won't submit. And God's going, submit. Jacob's I won't submit. And God goes, dunk, and breaks him. And then Jacob finally sees the truth. And now Jacob wants a blessing from God. And God says, Not until we deal with the fact that you've been living up to your name, Jacob. What is your name? Jacob, deceiver. Let's talk about that. And so God's teaching Jacob that he, God himself, wrestles with people, wrestles with them over the sin that's in their lives. It's not that people just wrestle with God in prayer, but God wrestles with people. God stays after us. He wrestles with us. He refuses to let us go until we get rid of the sin that's in our lives because God can't answer our prayers and deliver us until we are empty of all the sin that's within us. And so he wrestles and wrestles until we're willing to confess and turn from the sin that's in our life. It's then and only then that he can hear and deliver us from our trouble. And so here is that crossroad moment for Jacob. God's saying, which path will you continue to walk, Jacob? Will you still be Jacob the deceiver? Or are you ready to become what I have for you? Are you ready to walk the path that I have for you? Because, Jacob, this is bigger than just the confrontation with your brother Esau. This is bigger than you, Jacob. This is about the plan that not only I have for you, but that I have for your descendants, that I have for a nation, that I have for the world. And so God gives him a new name. A new name always symbols a new beginning. And Jacob the deceiver meets God the redeemer, and his life is completely and irreversibly changed. And as a symbol of this new life, of this adoption into God's family, Jacob gets the new name Israel, which can be translated to Prince of God. And so Jacob begins to walk a different direction. His life goes in a different way. Now listen, I'm not saying he didn't make mistakes, because he did after this. Man, did he make some mistakes. But what I'm saying is that he started living for the Lord and not himself anymore. His dependence was now on God instead of himself. The great preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones was asked once, what does a person look like who has truly met God? And he replied, he walks with a limp. See, after encountering the living Christ, Jacob was forever crippled, both physically in regard to his ego. He could no longer strut around arrogantly as he'd done before. His pride was turned to humbleness. His greed turned to generosity. His self-reliance turned into worship. And you see all of this play out in chapter 33 as he makes peace with his brother Esau. But there's one particular thing that I want you to see in chapter 33. It's verse 20. It says, And there he built an altar and he named it El Elohi Israel. 
So we see Jacob build this altar to the Lord, just as his father did and his grandfather did. Why did they build altars? To offer sacrifices. Why did they offer sacrifices? So that the blood of those bulls and goats could remind them how much they needed a Savior. And Jacob had finally realized that that he needed somebody to die for his sins. And Jacob also finally decided that the Lord would be his God, not just his father and grandfather. Remember I said up to this point, Jacob always referred to the Lord as the God of my father Isaac or God of my grandfather Abraham. He never called him the Lord my God. But in naming this altar, he did so because he called it El Elohi Israel, which means God the God of Israel. And his name was now Israel. And so God was his God now. And Jacob finally began to worship the Lord. As the band comes up, I want to close with this, and I want to ask you this. What are you wrestling with God about in your life? I mean, are you in desperate need of deliverance right now? Do you need a miracle now in your life? I want you to know that God wants to do that. He wants to deliver you. He wants to heal your marriage. God wants to deliver you from the power of sin. God wants to get you out of that financial mess you're in. God wants to remove whatever burdens that you're carrying. He wants to do all of those things. But are you willing to allow him? Because God wants more than just your deliverance. He wants more than just your deliverance. It's more than just your circumstances. God wants and desires a relationship with you. He wants you to submit your will to his life. I mean, aren't you tired of doing it your own way anyways? Doesn't it just get tiring fighting God? Stop fighting with him. Allow God to fight for you. Stop fighting with him. Stop living your way and let God give you a new direction. Let him give you a new name. Did you realize in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus says those who are victorious will get a new name only known to them? See, that victory only comes when we submit our lives to Jesus Christ, allowing him complete control of our lives, allowing him to be the only Lord in our lives. Maybe this is your crossroad moment today. Maybe God's asking you to do something. My question to you is, how will you respond? Will you stop fighting God? Will you submit to his will? How, you, how will you respond? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you do wrestle with us, God, that you constantly pursue us. And Lord, that you never let us go, that you love us so much, God, that you're willing to break us so that we will submit to you. God, my prayer is is that that wouldn't have to happen, that we would willingly come to your altar, Lord, and bow our hearts to you. God, submit our wills to you. Father, give us the strength to do that. Give us the courage to do that, to live for you, to live for all, all of who we are, to give it to you. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't know what's going on in your life today. I don't know what you're wrestling with God with, but man, today is a day for you to take care of that. I mean, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, stop fighting God about it. 
You know that's what he wants you to do, to give your life over to him. It's real easy. All you have to do is call on the name of Jesus and say, Jesus, I admit that I'm sinful like Jacob did. I admit my need for you, and I'm willing to live for you for the rest of my life. Maybe you have sin in your life, and God is wrestling with you and going, I am not going to let you go until you confess it. Maybe it's just a burden and you're not trusting him. And God's going, you need to depend on me. It's not just about your deliverance. It's about the relationship that I have with you. Maybe your relationship with God is stale and you need to recommit to that today. I don't know what God has for you, but I want you to know today is an opportunity for you to do that. Come up here at the altar, wrestle in prayer with God if that's what he's asking you to do. If you need somebody to pray over you, go back to next steps, we'll pray over you. Just don't leave here today in the same fight. Give over to God what he's asking you to do. Be obedient to him. Your life will never be the same.